I'd ask you to turn now in your Bibles, open your Bible up to John chapter 5, John and chapter 5, verse 25, uh, just one paragraph from uh, chapter 5 here from John, verses 25 through 29. And this is the word of the Lord. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. This is God's word. And let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we gather around your word this morning, we realize that we have been hearing a lot about different men this week, men who we have been told are very important, very important to listen to, very important to take notice of. But Father, I pray that as we focus on your word, that you would help us to see the man the Son of Man, the one who has ultimate authority over this world and over our lives. Help us to see him. Help us, Father, to hear his voice. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our statement of faith that we've been going over the past uh, few weeks uh, has 10 articles They are all important descriptions of what Christians believe. And these statements were written in such a way that any genuine Orthodox Christian could sign on to them in agreement. Obviously, I I believe it's important for us to know our statement of faith. That is why I've been preaching uh, through all ten statements of it. But uh, it's also why we've uh, taken the time to focus on what these ten articles have to say. Uh, There are truths that Christians need to know, and we need to know these truths, but what is far more important for each of you to know, much more so than what these statements say, is the one person that stands at the center of Christianity itself. That, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Gospel of John is all about knowing and believing in that Man, that one man. So as we, we, we consider the final article in our series on the Statement of Faith, Article 10, we find what is at stake in how we respond to that one man. The statement makes it clear, as our text here in John 5 also makes clear, that what our response to this one man is, particularly our response to what this man says, will be of eternal consequence for us, and not only for us, 
but for everyone in the whole world. You may have heard a preacher say this before, but what you do with Jesus is of ultimate importance. It really is a matter of life and death. The significance of knowing and submitting yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ simply cannot be overstated. That is what we see here in our statement of faith, and that's what we see in these verses from John chapter 5. Now, you may already know and, and follow Christ. You may have prayed to receive him many years ago, but, but how large of a place does Christ occupy in your heart today, in your life? How central is he to how you live, to what you believe about, about the world? How big is Christ in your life? There sure is a lot going on in our world right now. They, they say these are historic days. Our nation is, is still dealing with the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, you may have heard the state of Florida had their worst week since the start of the pandemic for new coronavirus cases this past week, and there have been, been major decisions released this week by the Supreme Court. We have heard about and seen videos of protests and riots happening all over our country the past few weeks in almost every major city. We're also in the midst of an election year. We, we, we will know in just a few months whether President Trump will be elected for a second term or if Joe Biden will become our nation's 46th president. So I think we will look back on 2020 and remember what happened during this year for a long, long time. But there is still a time to come that will be far more significant than this time that we are in right now. There is a day coming when all that has and will happen in 2020 will be judged. There's a day coming when, when every single person alive today will be called to account for how they responded to the challenges that we have faced. God's word here in John 5 shows us that there is one man who will take his place on the judgment seat and every single person alive today, you and me, or someone in the, in the media, or someone in the police force, or someone who has thrown bricks and looted a department store, or someone serving in the highest offices of the federal government, all will have to answer to him. We will all be judged by that one man. So friends, as we begin here, consider what is your relationship like with this one man? What will it be like on that day to come? So our main theme from uh, this paragraph here in John chapter 5 is that one man is the key to eternal life for every soul, both now and in the time to come. One man is the key to eternal life for every soul, both now and in the time to come. Let's look now at our, at our text here, verse 25. And the heading I put over verse 25 is the way to eternal life now. The way to eternal life now. Truly, truly it says, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, 
when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now there is an interpretive principle to understanding the promises of the gospel that I believe is, is important for us to get. That is the principle of the already and the not yet. And we see it throughout the New, New, New Testament quite often in the Gospel of John. We see it, one of the classic texts where we see this is the one that we're focused on this morning here, verse 25, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So again, it says an hour is, is coming or a time is yet coming. And then the Lord says, and is now here. So Jesus seems to be referring to what God's people at that time called the, the resurrection on the last day, when all God's people would rise from the dead, that's something that, that still has not yet happened. Uh, the cemeteries have, have, have not yet been emptied. The people are still dying every day from the coronavirus as well as other ailments, and funeral homes are still in business. So, so that hour of the resurrection, the ultimate resurrection, is still yet to come. But Jesus also says, that the hour is now here. It's now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So Jesus also says that already the dead who hear his voice will live. And help us understand this, of course, it's important to, to, to read passages and verses in, in their context. So it helps, it helps us understand, just look back at verse 24. The verse comes directly before our passage, and it says there, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. So even on the very day that Jesus was speaking these words, those that heard and believed what he said, that is, who believe that Jesus was really God's son, for that's what Jesus was, was claiming back in verse 17, well, they would, in a sense, cross over from death into life. There would, they would be granted eternal life that very day, and yet they would still end up dying at some point physically, as all the apostles did. So Jesus is saying here there is a sense in which a believer has eternal life now already, and there's another sense when the believer will enjoy and experience eternal life in all its fulfillment at the resurrection from the dead on, on the last day. So the promise of Jesus is already, for we can experience it now in a real way, and it is also not yet in that it won't completely be fulfilled until we are in the new heavens and the new earth with God on the earth with his people. On Thursday morning this past week, my, my phone buzzed and uh, reminded me that it was the anniversary of a young couple that I had the privilege of marrying 10 years ago now. So I sent them a text to congratulate them and uh, I was reminded then of, of their unique story. Uh, the groom at the time, was serving in the military, and he was about to be deployed to Afghanistan. And they wanted to be married before he left, 
so that his new wife would then be taken care of if anything were to happen to him while he was serving overseas. And as things sometimes go in the army, he only had just a very short window of time that he could come home and and get married before he had to then return to his base and then be deployed overseas. So they planned then to to, to just have a simple wedding ceremony with, with just their parents there as witnesses. And then once his tour of duty was over, they would then plan a full-scale uh, wedding ceremony with a reception and, and all and would renew their vows then. So on their wedding day, they, they stood before me with just their parents in this empty sanctuary in our church and recited their marriage vows. And then I declared them to be man and wife and, and signed their marriage license. And, and then two days later, he went back to his military base, leaving his his wife behind. And then a few weeks later, he was off to Afghanistan for about two years. So they were were married. So again, were they married when he was deployed? Well, well, yes. They they were already officially, legally husband and wife. But were they enjoying all that it meant to be married during those two years when they were on different continents? Were they they experiencing all that marriage is? Well, no. No, not yet. But the day came when I once again stood before them in that same sanctuary. This time it was was full of friends and family. This time they were in full wedding dress, and they're surrounded by their wedding party. And this time they had a big reception with some great food and a dance after the ceremony to celebrate their wedding. They were then, finally, after two years, able to enjoy all the blessings of marriage. So that's a little like what what's happens to every believer once they hear the voice of Christ and respond to it in faith. You know, we, we are all dead in our sins, as, as Ephesians 2 1 tells us, but, but something happens to us through our faith in Christ that we are given. Life, we're given eternal life. Again, verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, that is presently has, eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. A transformation happens. No longer are we under condemnation, but we have eternal life. Every believer enjoys eternal life now in the sense that the curse of sin and judgment no longer hangs over us. When we die, we will be brought into the presence of the Lord in paradise, much like what happened to the thief on the cross next to Jesus who who came to believe in Christ just hours before he died. So there on that cross, while he was dying for his sins, that, that thief enjoyed eternal life For Christ had spoken the words of forgiveness to him. Once he believed, well, the judgment of God lost its fearsomeness for him. For he had passed over from spiritual death to eternal life. He heard the voice of the Son of God. And those words gave that sinner life as he died. Just as Christ's words continue to give life to sinners as we await our deaths here on this earth. For all who have eternal life who die, they will one day be raised from the dead. 
in order then to enjoy the fullness of life on the earth with the Lord in the new heavens and the new earth. So, so then we will enjoy eternal life in all its fullness in resurrected bodies with the resurrected Lord on the resurrected earth. But you can have eternal life now. And the way to have, it, have eternal life now is to hear the voice of the Son of God. And hear in such a way as to believe and obey, as verse 24 makes clear. So how can we hear the voice of the Son of God today? Do we need to go to some really quiet place and, you know, and breathe slowly and, and empty our minds of all distractions and, and listen really carefully in order to hear his voice speak in our ears? Is that how that works? Well, I sure hope not, because I don't think that that's even possible for most of us. Actually, anyone can hear the voice of the Son of God. In fact, you have all heard his voice this morning. All you need is a Bible. All you need is someone reading the Bible to you. These are his words. This is his voice. When you read in the Bible, like verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Well, that's, that's his voice. That's the voice of the Son of God. So now the question is, did you hear it? That is, were you really listening? The only way to show that you are truly hearing his word is if you follow it, is if you believe it and obey it. Then you will live. Next, verses 26 and 27 here, we see the man at the center of life. For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Earlier this week, uh, Greta and the kids went to spend some time with her folks in Iowa. And while she was away, uh, as you know, it, it got really hot and it was really dry with the, that wind blowing like it did in the, in the early part of the week. So I, I made sure to water the flowers uh, that Greta uh, put on the patio in the front of our house. Um, it seemed like I'd just you know, given them um, um, water and, and then you know, just a few uh, hours later, not, not, not very long later, they'd be, they'd be dry again. I just couldn't give them enough water this week. And uh, for a couple of them especially, if I wouldn't have watered them, they probably wouldn't have lasted too long. Plants and flowers are dependent creatures. If they don't get water, they will die. And the Bible compares us with grass and flowers because like them, we are also dependent creatures. God's word reads in 1 Peter 1.24, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. When I was 16 years old, my own body failed me in a fairly significant way. It, it just stopped producing insulin. Insulin, of course, is necessary for my body to be able to deliver the sugar that's in my blood from the food that I eat into the cells of my body in order to, then to provide me with the energy I need 
to live and without insulin, my, my blood just starts filling up with sugar and I would literally wither and die. I'm completely dependent then upon injecting myself with insulin in order to continue living. Without doing that, I would die. And you are also completely dependent upon something outside of yourself to live. You need food, you need nutrients, you need water, you need oxygen and the ability to breathe it in, to have your lungs work well enough to make use of the oxygen that you receive from the air you breathe. So we are are all, each of us, like grass. We are completely dependent creatures. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it says here, is not dependent upon anything or anyone. That is why he is able to to give life to those who hear and believe his words. See the word for there at the beginning of verse 26, that word alerts us that Jesus is about to give the reason for why he is able to give life to the spiritually dead who will hear his voice. It is because as the Father has life in himself, he says, so he has granted to the Son also to have life in himself. God the Father and God the Son share the same attribute which characterizes one who is God from anyone else uh, who is not. That attribute is, is self-existence. The Son of God is an underived being. He is not derived from anyone or anything else, unlike each of us who were derived from our parents, and ultimately humanity was derived from God himself. He formed man out of the dust of the earth. But the Son of God is underived. He is eternal. He just simply is. Therefore, since he has life in himself, he is able to give life to whom he wills, as it says in verse 21 there of chapter 5. As one uh, Bible teacher put it, our life comes from God and God can remove it as easily as he gave it. But to the Son, to the Son alone, God has imparted life in himself. Now this doesn't mean that the Son was created by God the Father, for John already introduced the Son of God in in John chapter 1 as being in the beginning with with God, and and in him, that is in the Son, was life. So it just points to the relationship between the two persons of the Godhead. The Father is is God, for he has life in himself. He is self-existent, he is eternal, and the Son is God, for he also has life in himself. He too is self-existent and eternal. And verse 27 says, God the Father has given authority to the Son to execute judgment. Now, remember, when Jesus uttered these words, he was standing before those who were, who were self-righteously thinking that they should kill him because he was making himself equal with God. I mean, he just seemed to them to be just another man, not any different from them, In fact, Jesus probably wasn't even all that impressive to look at. But Jesus was revealing something major about himself when he said this to them. He he really was the Son of God in the flesh, the Son of God incarnate. And God had given him authority over them, and in fact, over all humanity, all the living and the dead. So therefore, 
they would be wise to submit to what he says. They'd be wise to hear his voice in such a way as to obey it. Otherwise, as he reveals next, they will find themselves on the wrong side of judgment because they'll be on the wrong side of the Son of God. And that's what we see next, the man at the center of the resurrection and judgment of all men. Reading in verse 27, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now there's a word that we don't use much in in our day-to-day vocabulary that I want us to think about in these verses. That is the word marvel. Look there again in verse 28. Do not marvel at this, Jesus says. Now, your Bible translation might use a different word, maybe a word like amazed, which is still a pretty good translation for that. Or yours might say, uh, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised, which, which I think is an unfortunate translation. It kind of misses the point, which is to be amazed, to be stunned in awestruck wonder, That's what Jesus is referring to here. So Jesus, again, he's just standing before these Jewish religious teachers and leaders. He is unimpressive to look at. He is a man, much like them, just like us. And he's just told them that he is the Son of God and is the fulfillment of that great prophecy in, in Daniel 7, 13 to 14. That is, he is the Son of Man who has the authority to execute God's judgment over all the world. And hearing that, they would have have marveled. They would have been been amazed, thinking, who is this guy? He he must be insane to compare himself to the Son of Man in Daniel 7. But then Jesus says, oh, 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 wait a second, that's not all. That's not all. The day is coming when at my command all those who are in their graves will rise up from the dead. All who are in the tombs will hear his voice. That is the son of man's voice, who Jesus just claimed that he was. They'll hear his voice and they'll come out. He's saying when that happens, then you'll really be amazed. Then you will marvel. For you have never seen that kind of power, that that kind of authority, at my word, the dead will come back to life. Now, many of you who have dogs, who are, who are supposed to have, you know, dogs are supposed to have excellent hearing, but, but you can't even get them to respond in a right way to your word. And Jesus here says that the dead will hear his voice and they will obey it. That will really be something to marvel at. And that same word that Christ uh, used here in the same it, it, it's used in, in, in the same context of judgment in second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1 if you want to turn there quick to second Thessalonians chapter 1 I'm just going to read verses 5 through 10 again a similar context to, to what Jesus is, is speaking about in John 5 here's what, what, what we read in second Thessalonians chapter 1 5 through 10 it says this this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed 
God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and, here it is, to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So, so that is the image that we should have in our mind when we hear Jesus say what he says to us in John 5. In fact, I would recommend that maybe you make it a point to read what, what uh, it says here in Second Thessalonians chapter 1 uh, every day for a while so that, so that you will, will have that image on your mind when you read your Bibles, when you sing worship songs, and especially as you go about your day interacting with others. The great majority of people in our world are unimpressed with Jesus. They don't pay any attention to him. They don't pay any attention to what he has said. And tragically, many within the church in our country are far more amazed with themselves than they are with Jesus. Or if you saw any highlights of the big rally last night in Tulsa, they are far more impressed with the current president than they are with Jesus. So, so think about what Jesus is saying about himself here. Consider this. Marvel at him. Again, I mentioned Daniel 7, 13 through 14, which is where this reference to the Son of Man is found. It would be good for us just to take a quick look there as well. So Daniel chapter 7, 13 and 14. Daniel 7, 13 and 14, here's what it says there. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, then came one like a Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So throughout the Gospels, Jesus often refers to himself as the Son of Man, and, and this is what he is referring to, to this description um, that we ought to think of whenever we read Son of Man in the Gospels, this, this sovereign king and judge, this, this ultimate ruler whose reign over the entire world will be everlasting. That is why Jesus says here in John 5 that God the Father has given him authority to execute judgment over the world because he is the Son of Man. He is the Messiah. Jesus is the one who reigns and who will reign Overall, the day is coming when he will give the command and all those who have died will rise again and this will be this, this great division, this great judgment. Some will rise again to life, others to, to condemnation and this man is at the center of that, this son of man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, just a few applications for us and then, and then we'll close. First, we'll be judged by this man the Lord Jesus Christ. We will not be judged 
by our peers or our friends or anyone who reads our social media posts. They will not be the ones who will stand before, uh, who will stand before us in judgment. We, we will not be judged by Black Lives Matter or, or, or CNN or any political activist group. They will not be the ones that we will stand before in judgment on the last day. We will, we will not be judged by our families, our parents, or our siblings, but only, only by the Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.11, what we are is known to God. What we are is known to God. He knows exactly what we are, who we are, and all there is to know about us. He will judge us justly. It will be that man who will be our judge. Secondly, it's important to know what we will be judged by. Verse 29, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So in the context of these verses that are in the Gospel of John, doing good all comes down to what we did with Jesus' words. How we heard his voice. Again, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So if we hear his word, we will have life. If we reject it, we will be ultimately condemned. So are you listening to his words? Do you believe what he says, especially in regards to your sin and your need for him to save you? That's what we'll be judged by, what we have done with his words, what we've done, how we responded to that man, the Lord Jesus. Lastly, notice that our judgment will already be determined prior to our death or before this time of judgment. So those who are in their graves will, will either rise to eternal life or rise to condemnation. It's already been determined for them. We need to submit ourselves to this judge, to the Son of Man, to the Lord Jesus Christ now while we still can. For there is a time coming when it will be too late. So it all comes down to what your relationship is like with him, with this man at the center of life, of resurrection, and of judgment. So how large a place does Christ occupy in your heart? How central is he to how you live? What is your relationship with this one man like? What will it be like on that day to come? If you know that it isn't what it should be, well, I invite you to pray, to confess to the Lord that your heart isn't where it should be in regards to him. Confess your sin, confess your pride and your self-righteousness before him, and Trust in his word. Believe what he says. That he is your only hope for salvation. That he is the, the, the son of God who is able to save you and restore you to fellowship 
with God and ask him to, to change your heart and start today to listen to his words and obey them, depending upon his spirit to help you. Let us pray. Our Father, as we consider the words of Jesus here, heavy words, significant words, but yet very clear, Lord, I pray that we would listen and obey. Follow these words. And I pray, Lord, for any who are here who are listening to this message, Lord, that are not in Christ by faith, Lord, that you would use your words in John 5, any, any other words that we shared from the Bible here today, lead them to repentance and faith. Help them, Lord, to see who Jesus really is and follow him. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority both now and all time. Amen.